grinding. L hit me, said it's all about the timing. If you want the vision, get the spinning. My mama told me trust in God, it's never limits. Now I'm on the scoreboard, running up the digits. I put in work, you know I'm up to get it. Early bird gets the Yankee fitted. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you for. Although it's not the game, I, it's just as good, you know. And I appreciate the the pivot, and I was flexible. So thank you for being flexible. Yeah, catching me and getting me to sit anywhere yeah. for 20 minutes is hard. I feel like it's an interesting day for you. And just to introduce you, this is our introduce to the people. This is Marcy Dickerson and you wear many caps. I That's feel like it's not statement. a hard introduction to do. You know, a lot of people, I can only imagine how many contacts you have in your phone. 8,400 and some odd. That should be like a, a raffle, like yeah, a giveaway. It, we, we, that's why I know it is because we've had many group trainings okay. that people have been like, how many, you know, yeah. we're talking about networks and how many contacts do you mm -hmm. have in your phone? And you know, that that's why I know that because I've been asked that before. So what is the most interesting thing about you that not a lot of people know? I don't know if there's any, like too many secrets about okay. me because, you know, I, I'm pretty public with all things. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I don't, I, it always amazes me that anybody cares. Um, but I would probably say, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, probably one of the most, I would say one of the most unique or talented, unique talents mm -hmm. I have. How's that? Um, I would probably say one of the most unique talents that I have is my ability to motivate others to do really good work and to do things. And, yeah. you know, when something happens to me, uh, whether it's good or whether it's, it's traumatizing, mm -hmm. um, we usually end up having a community movement started about it. So I'm very blessed on that. And that the fact that we have so many people that are willing to get behind whatever cause that I, you know, feel passionate about and really support that. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's a big deal. That's the biggest deal in yeah. my opinion. Um, it, it is, you know, anybody can sell hamburgers, anybody yeah. can sell hamburgers and beer. Anybody can run a restaurant or run a catering company and, you know, take their, their money and their influence, if you will, and go sit on an Island. But instead what we choose to do is we choose to try to make the community a better place and, you know, solve problems for people and create, create ways to, you know, it provides solutions. Yeah. And, you know, with that, I'm, I'm referencing cancer warriors. I'm referencing warrior league. Um, I created my own foundation, um, revolution 120, our own 501 C three in 2017, because I was, I, I felt we could do more mm -hmm. and, you know, I wanted to be able to do more in the community and to not have to ask permission yeah. from other charities to be able to do things. So we have that little tool in our toolkit and it's, it's very useful. We can get a lot of stuff done really quickly with that. I imagine there's not one person that lives in Las Cruces that doesn't, that couldn't pretty much, if you ask them if they're, you know, in the community making an impact, what is Las Cruces like? I'm pretty sure it would align much to what you're saying about, you know, finding a solution, doing it on your own and having the people behind you follow you. Yeah. We have a very generous and very giving community and we're very blessed for that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, a lot of towns that you go to, especially bigger towns, um, you know, they don't have that network. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't exist. It's not just me. It, it doesn't exist. And you really are not able to create solutions as quickly. And our, our town is very, very giving and they give with their money, they give with their time. And you know, people really are excited to create solutions to benefit our community overall, as well as other people. Absolutely. And looking at it from a family perspective, it's almost like everyone here is so nice and just welcoming. And I think that was something I took for granted when I decided to venture off and you know, baseball took me to a lot of places, but I moved to Arizona and, you know, some areas have similar, you know, values and whatnot, but it's not like home. 
And I think anyone can attest to that and living here my whole life. I miss the walking into a mom and pop store, walking into a restaurant and just seeing five people that I know and, you know, talking to them, seeing somebody that I know that's owning a business, in this case yourself or um, other people that my dad has introduced me to. And they all just have this human like personality to them. They're not up here. You can touch them. And I think that's huge. Yeah. And no matter how successful they are or, you know, how much money they have, they're all very, you know, approachable. I mean, Royal Jones is, you know, one of the most successful people in this community, if not in the state. And he's very approachable and he's Mm -hmm. very nice and he's very kind. And, you know, I really admire how he does his business as well as how he does his humanity, if you will. Yeah, no, that's makes, it makes everyone feel secure when you're living in this town. Um, But now to, to kind of transition, where did this start? Like, what was, you know, looking back, what was your mission like when you were leaving high school in college, what, what were you thinking that you wanted to do to, you know, fulfill your lifestyle, to fulfill your mission? I was actually, I didn't really have a mission at the time. I'm not sure any of us do at that mm-hmm. age. And, um, I was going to be an, a, a lawyer. I, okay. was, I went to college and I was going to be in law school. Um, unfortunately, you know, the discipline required to get really good grades. I did a lot more what I call research for what I do now, okay. um, which meant I partied a lot through <laughs> statement. I turned it into a career now. Um, but so I was going to go to law school and I actually, I went to college here and then I went to college in, in Louisiana, graduated from Louisiana. I did get accepted in to university of new Orleans law school. Mm. But by that point I had already moved back home and I was like, you know, I think I'll do something else. And so I just stumbled into this. Um, I started as a caterer cause my parents had a very small restaurant and of course Dickerson's barn, you know, the community's first convention center before they actually built one. Mm-hmm. And so I stumbled into it and then I found out I was instinctually good at it. Yeah. And you know, people asked me, they said, you know, have you gone to chef school? Do you have a hospitality degree? I have none of that. I have a history degree and an MBA wow. history degree is very useful. Very useful. Not at all. Um, there's no point in that. I, was I, say I, I just, I, I literally, I think I wasted <laughs> a whole lot of my parents' money in college. Um, but I was doing a lot of research for what yeah. I do now. So I guess it's okay. But yeah, so I just stumbled into it and I was instinctively good at it. And we built it all from the catering company. So if people, you know, I have six jobs now, but if people ask me, what is, what do I do for a living? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a caterer. It's what I do. And you know, the rest of it's just side work. It's, it's more than just the, the literal term. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of it. So, you know, so that I just stumbled sometimes, and sometimes, you know, that's how it is. Sometimes yeah. you have an idea of what your calling is and you know, I didn't, I, I got, I was really good at something. I still don't think I, I don't think I really quite figured out, you know, what my calling was, um, probably until, you know, 2015, 2017 when, I mean, I, I always knew it. I always knew mm-hmm. that, you know, my job was to serve the community and my responsibility was to make our community better. Cause my parents taught me that, that if a community takes care of you, you have to take care of that. So yeah. I, I was raised with that type of community service. You know, my father was one of the people that started the La Casa Christmas Bazaar. Um, you know, my parents, he, my parents also started, he, he was actually the founder of that Hatch Chili Festival. Wow. Um, you know, when they were in Hatch and then they also started, um, the, the Renaissance fair, you know, so, so I was raised with the community service thing and I just, you know, didn't realize until I got to a certain level in the community on what an impact I could make, you know, and my ability to rally people together and to get behind something and, you know, to, to really affect other people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine, you know, putting the thing together is, is one thing, but 
what is it to you that you feel like you fulfilled something when you're putting this stuff together? Is it the people that are coming and attending or is it the planning and leading up to it? It really is the results. You know, planning is very easy for me. Um, You know, we do that, but it's really the results. Like for example, so last year, um, almost a year ago, a couple of weeks, it's just a couple of weeks. I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I get breast cancer and to most people, you know, they look at that and it's a devastating, you know, diagnosis, mm-hmm. which it is. I'm not belittling it to anybody. It is a hell of a fight. It's devastating. I was very blessed that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But, you know, when, when I was diagnosed, I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, we're just going to do this. You know, we don't really, I'm not going to do any big, you know, I, I was, pink was a very big thing. And yeah. I was like, I'm not going to be the new face of pink. You know, we're not doing this. I'm going to go do this. And then once I got, you know, it was a couple months into it and I had had a double mastectomy and my doctor told me, he's like, well, you can't lift your arms. You can't bend over. You can't get wet. And I was like, Mm. you know, at this point, people think of cancer patients with no hair. Well, you still have hair at this Mm. point. And I'm like, what the hell, how am I supposed to wash my hair? Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, your family can help you. Well, I have two male sons. Like, really, do you think you know, nobody yeah. wants to be face to face with this mess. Right. Uh-huh. And I was, so I put out a, a text to a friend of mine who's, and I wasn't a very, I didn't do my hair a lot anyway. I wasn't a very vain person. I was always in a bun. So I didn't have like the hairdresser. I went and saw right. every six weeks, like so many people. And I put out a text and I said, Hey, we wash my hair. She's like, yeah, not a problem. Come in anytime. And then I realized that if I have this problem, what are all these other women doing? Like mm-hmm. all these other women have this problem. And really from that moment right there, I put out a Facebook post And I said, Hey, you know, here's a problem. And I need some people to help me solve it. And we got 33 responses. All these people volunteered, Hey Mars, you know, we do hair, not a problem. We're happy, you know, send them to us, wash hair. And I was like, this is, this is the purpose of this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why I got cancer. Like this is it. And cancer warriors was born right then because I was like, there are solutions that are not medical solutions. You know, I, I can't cure cancer. I'm not this smart. There are solutions that are not medical solutions that we can do, we call it our theme of cancer warriors is making the journey suck less. The journey of cancer is going to suck no matter what hand you get dealt. It's horrible. You know, it's disruptive to your life. It's going to suck. It's emotionally draining. But I was like, we can do things for women to help them make it suck less. And at that point in my life, I also had five, you know, five or six other they were friends. They weren't super close yeah. friends, but they were, you know, friends, acquaintances that were all going through something similar at about the same time. And I called them all. And I, one of them had been done for two years. And as soon as she found out I had breast cancer, she'd call me and said, what are we going to do? And I said, I'm not doing anything. You know, we're not going to do anything. So I called her back. Cause it was like 15 days later. And I was like, all right, I'm ready. This is what we're going to do. And you know what? We launched cancer warriors. We had a free lunch, literally invited 340 of my closest friends and told them, come to a free lunch, bring your checkbook. And we raised $220,000 at lunch. As simple as that. As simple as that. Because this town is very giving, but we also had a very pure mission. Yeah. You know, this is clear. what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, we're going to create goods and services for people at all four stages of their cancer. Um, and that, that probably right there in itself, as an example, is the thing I love most about my life. And I'm most proud of you know, yes, I have great kids. Yes. I have six successful businesses. Yes. I have all that, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's like, I have all that and that gives me the power and the connection and the influence to get this done, you know, to get to create solutions for people that don't have an option. I'm not the first person in town Mm -hmm. to have breast cancer. I'm not the most famous person in town to have breast cancer, but I am the person in town 
that could gather these other women up and gather all these people up and create a new type of program to help them. And like, that is what it's all about right there. Do you feel like there's a certain age or maturity level that you have to get to, to see the glass half full rather than, you know, the other way around? I'm, I'm not sure if it's age, maturity, optimism. I think, I think in, you know, you have to have a certain belief that you can solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of, while you're young, there's a lot of self-doubt that comes, you know, and you're trying to figure out what your space is. I think there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with that, but it also like, had I been, you know, had I been 22 and got breast cancer, I wouldn't have been able to get those 340 people to lunch because they wouldn't have known me, Mm -hmm. you know, had I not been a caterer, had I not had the restaurants, had I not done what I'd done in this community, you know, through the work and association and meeting everybody, I would not have been able to do the same thing. So I think there is a certain piece that you become more effective the longer you're in a community and the older you get, just because you are, you know, so many more people. Yeah. You know, you do, you know, so many more people, you know, I don't think there's ever an age in which you shouldn't try to, you know, interact with your community and shouldn't try to make the world a better place because we certainly have seen a lot of young people that were very ambitious and very go-getters, especially with today's technology. You know, us old folks, we don't, you know, like I can't even find the damn pod. Um, so I don't know where this is going, but okay, I'm with you. Um, I really, I am that old. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll walk I, you through I, it. <laughs> yeah, I, I am that old. I, I spent years on podcasts and I still can't find them. I was like, where's the pod? And my, friend, my friends laugh at me. They're like, okay, I still do things on paper. But, you know, I think there's a piece of it that with, with the time that you spend, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like being on a treadmill, the time you spend on the treadmill, it makes it the treadmill easier. It's the same thing, you know, but you do have to be able to believe that you can solve the problem and you can make a difference. And, you know, I've, I've always been an authoritative little twit, even when I was little. So I've, I've always known that I could, I could do things. Sometimes it's kind of crazy, like people look at it, you know what I'm saying? Like it takes a a type of craziness or a unique person to attack something as big as that and and cancer for you and um, make it about someone else. I think as selfless as that is, which with what you've done with this, um, this cancer program, it's allowed you to go and push forward, you know, even on the days you may not have wanted to, or your days that you were feeling. I I was, I was really blessed and, you know, I missed, um, I was in and out completely of cancer in nine months. So it actually took me longer to have a baby than it did breast cancer. Um, and you know, I was, I was very blessed. I I never got sick. I did not throw up once. Um, I missed five days of work total. And that was cause I had five surgeries. So, you know, I did that. I, I was really blessed, but my theory on it was, is that God gave me enough cancer for me to understand the shortcomings of our community and the problem. And for me to see firsthand the problems that have been solved, because of course I knew lots of people with cancer. I did. Yeah. I wrote checks like everybody else, you know, here's a check to, to, you know, tough enough to wear pink. Here's a check to Cowboys for cancer. Here's a check to all the groups. But when I experienced it myself, I got to really truthfully see what the problems were. And my theory is God gave me enough cancer so that I could see what the problems were, but didn't give me so much that I would be too tired to create the solution Mm -hmm. because there's no actual reason why I should have gotten out of it as easy as I did. There's no reason why I shouldn't, you know, that I have friends that were super sick and super weak and, you know, all that. And I didn't, you know, other than the fact that it was my calling and my job to go create these solutions. And if I had been super sick, I wouldn't have had the energy to do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that, that's my theory on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's no way to prove it or disprove it. So, you know, there we go. Yeah. I, the more questions you keep asking, the, the harder mm-hmm. it is to sleep at night, you know, yeah. amazing story. Um, 
So at what point in your life did you, you know, in this case, become humbled? Like, was there a point that you were, you know, maybe living out of your means or you felt a little bit more entitled and you hit rock bottom that transitioned you in a certain part or? I, I will say that, um, yes, of course. I think, cause I think everybody has that. Yeah. And if you haven't had mm -hmm. it yet, it's coming and you should probably be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, there was a time, um, when I was 36, I had, you know, I had heard, I had owned, I had game one, I had catering, I had opened five businesses in five years. I had SSI, I had Hurricane Alley, I had M5, I had all kinds of stuff. And I wasn't living right. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was one of my best customers, which in a bar is probably not a good idea. Um, but I was opening things because I was very good at opening them. But yeah. I had forgotten that I also had to be there to do the work. You know, I would open them and turn them over to managers and go open something else. And, and I was rapidly expanding. I laugh and I tell people, you know, I stopped doing that because I got my ADD under control. But really what had happened, you know, I wasn't living right, wasn't doing it right. And then really what happened was the IRS showed up with a SWAT team, like no BS, like full AK-47 SWAT gear. They raided Hurricane. They called me. It was like 730 in the morning. I was asleep. My assistant called my mom, told my mom, you know, wake me up, get me there. Yeah. Showed up. I mean, just the place was surrounded by police. There was, you know, they were in their full SWAT gear. And I remember yeah. I walked in and there's all these agents there. And I was like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, this is a, a raid on your location because, you know, we think you've embezzled money and done tax evasion and all these charges that okay. were crap. And I was like, you guys are a little overdressed for the party, aren't you? And they were like, well, you never know what we're walking into. And I remember my quote was, I was like, is the best way to beat a federal tax charge is to murder a federal yeah. agent? Like, what are you doing? But it was, it, it, was no a, it was a very interesting moment. I will say that at the time, you know, you can't really fight them. You're on their schedule. You can't do anything. You can't be in charge. And so, you know, I, I was, I was, I sat pretty still for about six months and I, I was pretty depressed and I didn't know what to do. And it was pretty hopeless. And then I realized, you know, get up, get on with it. And I can honestly say now it really allowed, it, it made me stop what I was doing and really take a look at what were my companies doing? What is this? And I, I will say now, you know, this happened in 2014. Mm -hmm. So I will say now, you know, and for the last five or six years, I've realized that that was the best thing that ever happened to me Yeah. because my actions and how I was running the businesses and how I was running my life had I kept on that path, I probably would have lost everything, mm -hmm. you know, due to just epic stupidity. And so these people really showed up and, you know, put a giant stop on everything and allowed me to regroup and come back and look at it and, you know, figure it all out. And if I had not had had that, I probably would have ruined everything. So it, it actually, you know, although it was a heck of an experience, yeah. um, it lasted for 18 months. You know, they really, nothing happened. Like they came, they raided, they came, they raided another place and, and nothing happened mm -hmm. and then nothing happened, which is so weird. Cause you're in the middle of it and you think like there's going to be all this activity yeah. and nothing happened. And then, um, on my 40th birthday, we got a letter from the IRS that was so unusual that even my tax attorney who'd spent 31 years doing nothing but tax defense cost 750 bucks an hour. I mean, this guy was Jeez, top of the line. Yeah. We got a letter that basically said, okay, never mind. And he actually called Washington DC to see if it was real because we thought it was a fraudulent letter and then they went away. Wow. So, you know, it definitely, like I say, I, I'm very appreciative of it now because it really, you know, saved us from a lot of my arrogance, if you will, and my stupidity. It's a fast life. Yeah. Arrogance and stupidity. And so after that, you know, we found a whole lot of humility in that. And then, you know, just realized that, you know, our purpose is 
you know, to help other people. And, mm-hmm. and as we do that, you know, we, we get help too, but you know, that that's our mission is that our job is to solve the problems that other people can't. Another sign, right? Anything mm-hmm. more, anything less? Like yeah. who knows if it would have been something that Right. If they would have just sent enough. me a letter, like I would have yeah. been like, right. whatever, <laughs> you know, you show up with some AK 47s. That's real deal. Yeah. And one in the morning. Well, they, it was at the bar. So they came in. Um, I think they broke the, they busted the locks and broke in at like five 30 in the morning or like Jeez. six. And then they called me and then I had to go down there and do that. Do you need me? I done. We're going to no, have a good. pause. <laughs> what? I don't know where my keys are. I think, did I take them out? They're probably in the kitchen or, or they're, no, they're sitting on the table with Cindy Torres. Okay. Sorry. And did you tell Jace what time lunch was? Okay. Okay. Back on. No, you're good. Thank you. It's called the pause for the working break. Go ahead. You can't stop working. Yeah, no. So when, I mean, since we're on it, what do vacations look like for you? Um, I actually, I took my first vacation without my phone last yeah. year. Wow. It was very interesting. That poor woman that just walked in um, got to have the phone because she oh. that's, that's one, of, one of my best friends and also a partner in several of the companies that we own. And I, we, my kids, we were going to Europe mm-hmm. and I'm usually tied to my phone. I mean, I think my screen time is like 11 hours a day or something and it's not, you know, and it's not sitting there on Facebook. Yeah. It's not, you know, playing Minecraft or I don't know, whatever you play. I don't even have games on my phone, <laughs> like such a waste. Um, I do like 8,000 some odd text messages a month, you know, it's insane. Um, and so I decided, you know, I was going with the number two in the company, my best friend, I was going with her and her family and I still had my kids, but I was like, I'm going to leave my phone at home mm-hmm. because with the time difference of Europe and all that. And I, you know, I'm actually going to step away and it was really nice. It was very bizarre. I think I shook the whole first day, Yeah, you know, like physically had Spazzing a reaction because mm-hmm. I didn't have the phone. Um, and I, I didn't realize how bad, you know, like how busy I was until we gave her the phone mm-hmm. and she was like, Oh my gosh, like this thing is constant all day long. And I, it, you know, it's just always been that way. So you don't, you don't notice it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the first one. So I, I don't take many vacations. I don't, we, we try to go do something once a year, but it was last year was the first year that I felt all the companies and everything were okay. And I left, you know, phone yeah. at home. I still had all the other kids phones. Don't get me wrong. So uh-huh. I was, you know, we were still dealing with the crises we were dealing with, but the everyday stuff we didn't. Absolutely. Um, and obviously you mentioned family. Um, what, with that being, I don't know that, a bigger cap for you. What does that look like as, you know, taking a step away from owning to mom? I don't know. I've never actually done it. Um, no, just kidding. truthfully, my kids have a lot to talk about in therapy. Um, I, I, I'm <laughs> actually, they're in it though. Yeah. You know, if they, if they aren't yet, they will be soon. Um, but I've been very blessed because since I had my children, you know, my whole family were, mm-hmm. you know, lives here and my mom and dad, you know, we, we have, fa- we, we started as a family business and then I branched off, but I've been very, very lucky because my mother's part of what we've done in the companies that we've done is she has taken over. She's, she's raised my children. Okay. You know, so I explain it to people. I said, if you have a very, tr- if a very traditional upbringing, my mom is the mom. Mm. She handles all the day-to-day stuff, you know, the laundry, the homework, the getting them to practice and all that stuff. And I'm, you know, more the dad. I show up, I make sure there's lots of the plenty of money. I show up for discipline and big events. And that's really, it sounds bad, but that's really how we've done it. 
Um, so my children, you know, have had to have, got to have a very stable life and they weren't, you know, weren't in daycare for hours on end because back in the day, you know, I worked 120 hours a week. So, you know, and, and unfortunately in hospitality, most of my work is at night. Um, so that's, that's the way we did it. So there's a lot of moms out there that bless their souls, like are really just balancing it all. And they're single working moms and they're doing all of those things and they're balancing it and they're juggling it. And they look at me and they go, well, how do you do it? And I say, I don't. I said, I don't, I outsource that. You know, my mother has done it. And I've been so blessed that she was willing to do that. Cause there's a lot of grandmas that are like, oh, I just, no, I'm not going to, I raised my kids. I'm not raising yours. I'll just, you know, see them on the weekends or whatever. And my mom really stepped up and did that. And because of her and because of handling that, I was able to grow the companies and do the companies, you know, the way that I did, because there wouldn't have been a possibility as a single female, Mm -hmm. you know, as a single mom to do all of that at the same, because no matter Uh what, you can't do it all. You know, you can't, somebody has, you have to feed the children. You have to be there. You have Mm -hmm. to, you have to do all that. And so I had, you know, I was blessed to have somebody else do, do that and, and allow for me to do this. Do you feel like that's a a privilege maybe? How do you view that? I think it was, I think it was a big privilege that I had the choice Mm -hmm. that that's what I could do. Um, you know, I think, do I think my children were better off with my mother as a dominant female figure than me? Absolutely. (laughs) Even my mom said that if I, you know, if I was a stay at home mom, they probably would have turned into, you know, crazy messes. Um, but I think in the, you know, I think in the long run, I was very privileged to get to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll, we'll have to weigh in with the kids to see what they think about it. Um, but both of them seem to be doing quite well. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it, I think it is a privilege that I got the opportunity to make the choice Mm -hmm. because not everybody has that, you know, not everybody has the, has the parents here. Not everybody has the capability to create the income, to employ the parents, to help and, you know, and take care of the house and, and, and take care of all those things and provide for that. So I, I do feel that I'm, I'm very, very lucky at it and, you know, that I got to make that choice. And not everybody would make the choice, you know, yeah. and I have friends that have pretty much the same opportunities and could, and they, you know, the number two in my company, Misty, she chose, you know, to work a li- to help me, but she chose motherhood and mm. she chose to do that. And then, you know, so the paths are a little bit different. Yeah. And so we adopted her job to be one that where motherhood could be the primary. And, you know, I can't, I can't say at the end of it, which one of us was right or wrong. Cause I think everybody has to do, you know, what's right for them and what works. But I, I was very privileged and very lucky that I got to make the choice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, working in nonprofits for three years, that really showed me a different perspective of what these families have to go through. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not always fun and games, you know, yeah, having a kid or whatnot, but a lot of these parents are maybe, you know, single income families or yeah, are they one and, parent households, one parent households and they're doing their best. And you yeah. know what? They didn't, they didn't get all the opportunities that I got. I mean, I was blessed because my father was an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and he was self-employed. So I got taught that, you know, I got taught entrepreneurship. I got taught, you know, this is what you do. You hustle, you work and, and you can, you can make, you can change your life, you yeah. know, by, by the work. And, but a lot of people didn't. I also, you know, I also was blessed because I got, I, I, I say most people, you know, start at the ground floor, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they have to start all by themselves and figure out the, the investment capital and figure out all the things. I was very blessed because my parents had already started the restaurant, the, the, the small restaurant that I took over and then turned into the catering company. You know, my parents had Dickerson's barn that yeah. I turned into, you know, all that. So I got to start like on the fifth floor. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have to start at the basement. I wasn't scraping. I, I got to start in my world with tables and chairs. I got to start with ovens already. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to do that. So I was very, very blessed in the fact that, you know, my parents before me had worked really, really hard and they had also made a name for themselves in the community. And this is a, this is a small town, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how big we get, we're still a small town. So I got to start as a Dickerson, you know, like for yeah. example, the name recognition works like in kindergarten. You know, we had kindergarten through fourth grade in elementary school. We had a contest selling enchilada tickets, right? You remember these enchilada fundraisers, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Oh yeah. No, this chick. Yeah. So my mother would drive me around all over town. Well, because all these business people knew who we were, my little six-year-old butt could walk into a bank, ask for the president of the bank. The president of the bank would, you know, of course there's a six-year-old. I mean, he probably would have done it no matter whose name it was. But, you know, I learned to sell very young because they taught me how. So I would walk into the bank and do it and I would sell all these people. I think I still hold the record at Ferry Cruz Elementary for most, you know, enchilada tickets sold. Um, You know, it's just, it's that kind of thing. But, you know, you're very blessed when you get to use all the gifts that not only the good Lord give you, but your your family worked hard to provide for you. Because I think all of us want the same thing. We want for our children. I know your dad wants it for you. You know, we want for our children that, that we get to a certain level and then our children get to springboard off that level and then they get to the next yeah. level, you know, cause that's mm-hmm. definitely what happened. You know, my father worked very hard and he got to this level. I got to start at his level and then springboard to the next level and my children will get to do the same. Absolutely. I mean, I can attest to that cause I didn't start necessarily on floor one either. You know, having mm-hmm. my dad as, as you know, well known as he was, has put me in open doors and open certain doors when I got to college. But at all of it. And I tell people all the time because I tend to make friends with people that had nothing less than me, you know, had to work at the age of 16. And yeah. it's just so interesting hearing their stories. I tell them I saw to work for stuff, you know, like my college was paid for, but if I wasn't getting a 4.0 and you know, I wasn't doing good in sports or if I wasn't being a good person going to church, that was taken away from me. Like mm-hmm. all of that was a reason to get better and to be in the position that I'm in now. I was so shy as a kid. I didn't want to talk. I don't want to look at people in the eye. My dad always told me shake someone's hand introduce yourself. Yeah. You know, and I never understood why, and you don't really get it until you're 20 years old and you're you're sitting there at a job interview trying to get your first job. And, you know, it goes a long way. I will say that. So. Yes, absolutely. No, it it does. It does. I mean, realistically, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's harder to find me, you know, you can't just walk into the game and be like, Hey, I want to do a podcast with Mars. You know, your dad sent a text. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, send the kid like happy to do it. You know, yeah. I had no idea what we we're talking about. Yeah. I'm like, sure. You know, David needs a favor. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. So it, 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 this is one of the benefits of a small town. Yeah. You know, if you were in New York, nobody would care. Nobody would care that, you know, there's this guy who knows all these people and this baseball coach and an amazing human being. And his child is now trying to do anything. No would care. Yeah. You know, in, in cruises, we care, mm-hmm. you know, in cruises, it's all about, you know, the relationships and the contacts and absolutely. You know, people. your dad has done so much for me in, in baseball and just, you know, keeping my baseball momness to a, <laughs> a, a reasonable level. And so, so what is that like, you know, seeing your kids in sports and how has that been for you expensive. as a mom? Oh, I it's bet. Expensive. I um, well, and I say that cause you know, I opened SSI. Yeah, so yeah. we did that with, you know, coach Gomez back in the day and, you know, baseball is a very expensive habit. Um, but, but it is exciting. It's mm-hmm. exciting to see them you know, sports creates a lot of discipline and responsibility. It does, you know, it teaches you teamwork, but it also teaches you responsibility and hard work because if you don't work hard, no matter how good a coach you have, you're not going to achieve. So even though it is a team sport, it's still back to you. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you doing? What do you bring to the table? How are you going to do it? And so I've really enjoyed it because my children, as they've come up, you know, through baseball, which 
is the predominant sport they play after they come up for baseball, they've gotten to interact with a lot of really wonderful adult males and some really great influential figures in their life and people who are able, you know, a coach's, I, I want to say power, but a coach's power and influence over a child is amazing Yeah, because they can make or break a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and you get the right coaches lined up and these people, these other human beings on earth that are vested in your kid and what your kid's going to do good, bad, or ugly. You know, if your kid messes up, they're vested in it and they yeah. step in. If your kid's doing great, they step in, you know, and I think that's just such a wonderful part about sports is that you have this whole village that, you know, is there and focused on the babies and turning the babies in, you know, to good human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we all want. We all want yeah. our kids to grow up and be good human beings, but it's so nice to have so many people working toward them. Yeah. And you know, the power is a full-time role when you're getting closer to the high school level, they're seeing them more than they see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every day. Yeah, they do for sure. Well, I mean, that's good to hear. And to pivot over to something I'm looking at you, you know, you're very successful. You're very determined. You're driven, you know, BHD podcast is blessed, humble, determined. And those are the three core values that I believe in into making someone a good person in this case. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting here. What is something that you feel like has been a challenge for you to accomplish over the last couple of years or that your, your biggest weakness right now that you're working on? Ooh, that's a hard one. You know what? I mean, to be honest with you, I think probably, and I'm, I'm going to say it's my biggest weakness. I haven't okay. decided if I'm working on it yet. Okay. How's that? Yeah. I think because, you know, there's a certain point that you're like certain age, you're like, this is how I am. <laughs> I, but truthfully, I think my biggest weakness is what I'm going to call my palatability. Mm. So I have, you know, the decisive language of a well-educated sailor. You're really proud. I haven't ex- exercised that on your podcast. He, I, I can control it when my dad, uh, I'm in public. gave me the disclaimer too. He was uh, like, she might throw them out, throw them yeah, out there. I'm like, yeah, That's she fine. does. She does. So I have, I have, I have an incredible four letter language base, but a lot of that comes from the fact of, you know, I laughed because I think people think my mother raised me that way. And okay. like, you know, I was just born with that. I wasn't, I started this business as a 22 year old female. Mm-hmm. in a male dominated industry. I mean, I'm, you know, I run bars and restaurants yeah. like that's, that's especially back in the day, you see a lot more women in it now. And, you know, we're very much politically correct now, you know, the early nineties yeah. we were. And, you know, when I started it, it was one of those that I had to go prove to all uh, much older, you know, the older big boys that I could hang and that, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be pushed around and I wasn't some twit. And so I developed, you know, the language to help solidify that. And I, you know, that kind of thing. So I have the language, you know, I used to have, I, I would have a, a temper and I'm not saying like, you know, like I'm just throwing a fit for no yeah. reason, but if, if I needed to blow up to show you that I was serious about what I said, I could do it very effectively. Still can. I just don't do it as much. So I would probably say as I, you know, as I rose up, and that's probably one of the things that's like one of my biggest weakness. Cause there are, there are particular organizations, if you okay. will, that, the two factor because I am a female and also because of my creative language, um, that they don't quite welcome me into it. Yeah. Whereas if I was a male with the creative language, I would probably still be welcomed in. Or if I was a female that was a little more palatable, you know, yeah. prim proper, mm-hmm. always some smile on her face, that kind of person, then I probably would have too. You know, I, I don't think I've never gotten anything because I'm a female, mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't, I, I've never experienced the glass ceiling. I've never experienced that you can't because you're a girl, you know, yes, I had to work hard, but I think everybody has to work hard. I yeah. don't, I, I never really felt that. So I can't, you know, grab that feminism chip and run with it on that one. But I do think that that's probably, you know, it, because there's really not much that can stop me from anything. Yeah. You know, I can do pretty much what I want to. So that's it. It's just, well, at some point it's like you said, who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of a piece of it. And that's kind of mm-hmm. where I'm at. I'm like, you know, like me or don't like me. I really don't care. Well, and I, I never would have thought that too. And it makes a lot of sense because it was, it's such a, a male oriented mm-hmm. business. It's not as much now, yeah. but you know, our whole culture has changed. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. our whole culture, we're, we're not sex. I mean, we're not really sexist anymore. We're not that racist anymore. We're not even that, you know, sizest. That sounds, that's a really weird word, but you know what I mean? It used to be like the only you know, people would discriminate against heavier people or they discriminate mm. against. And now, you know, the, the culture has come such a long way with the use of the internet and all that, that now we're very accepting of everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody's be. accepted For these sure. days and that's wonderful. That's a great thing. I'm super excited about it, but we also have to remember that it wasn't that, you know, and I'm glad we've made progress and I'm glad we've done that, but still, you know, I mean, you know, we, we had to come up a long way and there was a long way to come and, you know, we're lucky that we were in a small town to get to do it. Yeah, definitely get the, there's been growth. I will agree with that. And I, I feel like here is a lot different from other places and coming Mm -hmm. from a, you know, obviously a different state, but you know, social media is such a huge concept now. And I feel like the more you can stay away from social media in terms of political stuff that are driven, like, you know, women versus men or, you know, sexism or size sizes. I never get, it's so crazy. Like you can see one video for one second and it's, you know, everyone's inclusive. And then the next video is complete, just opposite, you know? So it's, it's different, but I would say there are some strides being made, especially in this community. Like Mm -hmm. I love seeing how diverse it is now. And with the university that helps out so much, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think like, especially in our community and that's really, you know, I, I I went away to college, but I've lived here my whole life. So I really live in a tiny little bubble. I do. And I, I get that globally. I live in a tiny little bubble, but in our community, I really, I don't see that a female, no matter what age, Mm -hmm. cannot accomplish whatever she wants. You know, you have to work hard. Absolutely. I mean, I have been, you know, called the hardest working working woman in Las Cruces. And I was called that from a very young age by very well established Mm -hmm. men that I respect, such as Mr. Susparo. You know, a lot of the, these veterans of, you know, our community and pillars of our community, that's how they recognized me when I was younger and I was coming up because they were like, that's the hardest working woman. And yeah. they respected that. So that opened a lot of doors for me. You know, I didn't have to go in there and if you will, you know, burn my bra and scream and yell that I'm a woman and I deserve equality. Mm-hmm. You know, I just did it. You know, I just showed up, I worked hard and I did it. And, you know, this community was very welcome to that. And I, I'm very blessed for that. I think at some point we got to see it as people versus people rather than, you know, something behind the the face. But like you mentioned, if you could talk about it, it's not going to go very far. And no, go hustle. Yeah. If you want something, hustle for yeah. it. Figure out a way to get it done. Definitely. I mean, the whole world is, you know, they've told me no a thousand times. I mean, I've been told no all over the place. The difference is, do you listen or do you just figure out a way around it? Yeah. It also kind of created my pain in the ass authoritative look there because my pain in the ass authoritative reputation I have. Do you question it? If there's a no, do you question why? Do you need? Oh my gosh. I like, you don't tell me no. Like there is not a no to me. You know, you may tell me no Mm -hmm. and you may say I can't, Mm -hmm. but I can either go around you, above you, over you, 
you know, like if I want it, I will go do it. Yeah. Like there is Find not like, I, there is not a no in my world. There's sometimes when somebody tells me no and I have to really think and go like, okay, is this worth the fight? Yeah. You know, do I really want this? Is it really worth the fight? You know, like for example, warrior league, my special needs baseball league that I created because mm-hmm. you know, my nephew, do you want me to tell the story? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So it was two days before the COVID shutdown. And I remember cause we were driving back from my uh, father-in-law's funeral and my nephew calls me and my nephew is autistic and he could play T-ball mm-hmm. because you know, the ball was on the tee and he could make it work. Yeah. Well, he ages out and now he has to play coach pitch. He can't do it. Got it. Can't make it work. And you know, we're a baseball family. Mm-hmm. So my poor little nephew calls me and he's just got such a beautiful soul and he's crying. And he's like, aunt Marcy, I can't play baseball. Why can't I play baseball? I want to play baseball. They won't let me play because the coaches won't let him on the team because yeah. he can't do it. Right. And okay. I mean, everybody likes to win, but come on. Yeah. Jerks. But anyway, and so he's crying and I said, Oh baby, you can play baseball. And he's like, no, aunt Marcy, I can't. I said, watch me. I said, aunt Marcy will handle this. So I hang up the phone and God bless Marcy Malam and Steve with LCYBA. First thing I do is I call them mm-hmm. and I said, I'm creating a special needs baseball league. And they go, okay. And I go, you in? And they're like, yeah, we're in. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get this done. COVID happens. Like literally the next day, the Jeez. governor shuts us down. Uh-huh. So we're, we can't do any sports anyway, but now we're in super spiral. Cause now the restaurants are shut down. You know, catering was shut down for 18 months, yeah. 18 months. You know, so we pivot, we have to do all our other stuff, which that's a whole nother podcast. We pivot, we do all that stuff. So we come out of COVID and now last year, so 22, Mm -hmm. so we come out of COVID and, you know, I look around like you get to, you know, it took a long time. You come out of COVID, the businesses are back. Okay. Everything's fine. And I look around and my nephew's still not playing baseball. And he's like, "Uh, baseball. And I was like, crap. So I call Marcy and Steve back and I said, okay, I'm ready. We're going to do this. What do I need to do? And they said, no, you know, LCYBA has got you. We'll do this. They said, but here's our problem. There's only one field that is Mm. um, ADA compliant. There's only one field and that's NMSU. So in all the timing, it all works out because at this point, my son is playing at NMSU. I am the main fundraiser for the baseball team. Mm. I know the coaches. I now have all these connections that I did not have in 2019 because at 19, Saxon was still in high school. So I did not have those connections. And I was like, not a problem. And they said, NMSU won't let you play. And I said, watch me. So got with the coaches. Coaches were absolutely for it. Got with the university, you know, the university AD was for it. There was some people somewhere in the back that didn't like it. I didn't care. You know, so we just went and did it. And then, so it it went well, you know, it was 81 special needs kids came to play baseball. And we actually started this Sunday again. So our second year, Mm -hmm. second year of Warrior League, um, you know, I send the email and I say, I'm going to do this again. I don't ask. I just say, I'm going to do this again. And, you know, one of the somebody's of the somewhere on the email chain in the back of the administration, you yeah. know, you envision these people back mm-hmm. behind offices and they sent a thing and they said, well, we don't know if we're going to let you do it or not mm. because some idiot complained and there was this and that, and there was some emails back and forth. And so I kind of just waited and then I let them do other things and I waited a little bit and then, you know, a month goes by cause I sent it really early and I, I, I talked with one of the people in charge and I said, okay, you know, we're good for this. Right. And they're like, well, we don't know yet. I said, let me be very clear. This is a special needs baseball league. Yeah. I don't care what your opinion is. Mm-hmm. I will show up. I have the code and we will play baseball. 
on your field because those children deserve to play baseball. Absolutely. So you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, there's yeah. a difference. You get Sometimes you go get in a fight because it is the most noble thing to do and you're not going to tell me no. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times there's really no nobility in it, so you don't go get in the fight. Gotta wait out. Yeah, you're just like, okay, never mind. I really don't care. But yeah, no, like, if it's something I want, you don't really get to tell me no. Well, I will like figure that, out a way sure. to do it. I mean, That's, it's so noble. Like, yeah. these kids are amazing. Like, shut up. Yeah. You know, shut up with your policy. Like, whatever. I have insurance. Yeah, you just, you know, grow some balls at some point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah right? It's just like, you know, it's a freight. It's kind of like we're a freight train. You know, we're a freight train. Stop me if you want to. Try anyway, but let's do this. It's never really about the kids anymore, which is kind of sad in some instances. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's tough, but that's a, another solution that you found on your own. Yeah, I was just like, no, we're going to we're gonna go do work. And you know what? I will say, you know, we needed funding for it. We did yeah. because I wanted it to be free. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody to have to pay. Um, and you know what? It was amazing. This town, we... We raised $30,000 in 10 minutes. That was it. (laughs) It was, it was literally 10 text messages that I sent out to my business friends. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. I need $3,000 per team. I don't want anybody to pay. We're paying. And we, and we have specialists, so we have to pay them, you know, Mm -hmm. even though a lot of them volunteer, I was like, no, your time is valuable. I will pay you. So I pay the specialists. I pay the special coaches. You know, I pay all these people who are well-versed in to make sure that it's safe for all the kids. And yeah, in 10 minutes, 30 grand, not a problem. Everybody's like, that's an amazing idea. And even showing them something like that, they were like, no, even showing all of the the stuff that you had ready. Nobody said no. Everybody. There was not, why did I, I did not have, I, I got 10 sponsors. I sent 10 texts. I did not have to text the 11th person. Nobody told me no. Everybody yeah. was like, absolutely, Marcy, this is, you know, this is beautiful. Yeah. Support it. And that's why this town's so amazing mm-hmm. because those people, you know, all of those people right there are just so supportive on all things. You know, as long as it's yeah. a noble pursuit, they show up with their checkbooks. Oh yeah. Especially if the, you know, it's saying one thing, but then not actually moving forward with it. But yeah, yeah that's amazing. It's like, here we go. So you mentioned it a little bit, but we don't have to go in depth. Like you said, it's another podcast, but what did you learn from the, the COVID era with your businesses? I, I learned to pivot very quickly. Okay. Like, you know, catering was shut down. So one thing about COVID is I never laid off any of my employees, all 140 of my employees stayed employed. Catering was shut down um, 18 months and we exist in a government building. So it's not like we do it sneaky. Yeah. Right. So 18 months catering was shut down and you know, we pivoted very quickly. We started doing food boxes for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that was free, but I could keep the kids at work. So we started doing food boxes for the community because there was so many people, you know, and, and the difference was in the grocery stores, there wasn't food, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't toilet paper. You remember all that nine one one, right? But the restaurants and our business has a different food source. So all of our suppliers were backed up because they can't pivot. Like yeah, they can't, okay. they can't take the Cisco guy and take it to the grocery store because right. it's different packaging. It's different. Everything. So all of our suppliers were backed up with food and the grocery stores didn't have any. So we purchased food again. You know, we did some of it. We reached out to the community. We said, Hey, give me some money. Mm-hmm. You know, we started with when they canceled school and we started doing free meals for kids at the game and everybody came in, you know, people would come in and they would buy meals. And, yeah. you know, we just had this whole giant circle of people coming in you know, and that was when the restaurants were still open, but you know, they didn't have school. So they would come in and like, I'm sorry, the restaurants were open for takeout and they would come in and they would give us money and we would pay. And all these people could come in and get free meals because, you know, for a lot of people, especially people that are financially challenged, how do you feed all these children? Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do here? Right. They were eating two meals a day at school and now they're not. Mm -hmm. So we did that. And then we went to food boxes and we did all that. And from the food boxes. So because we were doing food boxes for the community, 
you know, the world showed up and supported. And what happened was the, um, all of the Indian tribes had made a deal with the governor that they would shut down. Mescalero did that. They would shut down if she would give them money to help with food boxes and things. And so they had this budget. Well, because I was doing food boxes here, the Cisco people that I was ordering all the food from called me and said, Hey, we need somebody to process these food boxes for these guys. Mm. And I will say those food boxes and, and the people in charge of the Mescalero Apache tribe at the time were so kind because we went up and we delivered the first ones and we told them, we said, you're the reason these kids are at work. Yeah. You know, because of you guys, we're able to keep everybody working and doing that, which was a true statement. And so they, from then on said that they would only take food boxes from us and they saved That's our butts, amazing. saved yeah. our butts, you know? So really with COVID we learned, okay, don't panic. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. We were, I think all of us were drunk for like the first yeah. week, you know, cause we thought we were longer, going broke and we just, longer. yeah, it was sometimes longer, <laughs> but you know, definitely for the first week, we just kind of sat there and drooled at ourselves and watched the, the computer waiting for, you know, the queen to speak and tell us what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Guess how I feel about that. No. Anyway, uh, we're not getting into that, but you know, and, and so we learned to pivot really quickly. Like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we f- help the community? How do we pivot? How do we do it? Yeah. And it was, it was very, very a giving pivot. It was like, okay, what do these people need? What's the hard part? What can we supply? Like mm-hmm. we, you know, when we came and told our employees that we shut down, we handed them all cash. And then immediately we had already ordered $25,000 worth of groceries. So they all came. Cause again, at the same yeah. time, you know, the world's coming to an end. None of us knew what was going on, you know? So they all came over to our warehouse and they all picked up groceries and it was like, okay, here you go. And then we were able to come up with creative ways to keep everybody, you know, nobody lost their cars, nobody lost their houses, you know, the rent. I feel like that's the biggest flex out of everything that you. Yeah. It was, it was, how do we pivot? How do we make this work? And how do we do it, you know, in our community? And that probably, that realistically was probably the first time in which I was really known in the community for my charity work. Like Mm. I had done charity work before that, but the pivot of COVID really took it full pay, you know, front and center and took it in that because that was, you know, we were out there doing lots of, lots of things. I think it showed how powerful some small businesses were. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, not to say they weren't willing to, but a lot of people went under and yeah. you know, the people that didn't and still were doing the food boxes we were doing at the boys and girls club, the supply boxes, um, and you know, vice versa, but you guys kept going. And I think that's the reason why people are very known, well known with your charity work is due to the fact that you guys were up there every single day, yeah. you know, front of the front of the lines doing whatever you could to, to make an impact. So, well, and that was the big piece of it. Sorry, I got answers because work's still happening. Yeah. And that was the big piece of it. It was like, you know, you can, and I know a lot of people and, you know, they chose to stay home and I respect yeah. that. And that's fine. I know a lot of people that closed and laid all their employees off mm-hmm. and just said, via con Dios, homie. Um, but I will say that because we didn't choose that path. We didn't that when the governor put us back to work and, you know, her start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop kind of crap. We had staff. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a problem. I didn't have to go back out and rehire. I didn't have to go find cooks. You know, I had staff and they were sitting there and they were waiting. And, you know, because we took care of them, they were right there for us when we needed them, when it was time to go back to work and we could say, you know, cause she opened for patios and that was great. Cause I had patios. We built patios. I mean, we built patios for other restaurants. Jeez. You know, when she shut down, when she shut us down and said only patios, 
you know, I have great patios. I was yeah. fine. Yeah. I could have sat very quietly and not done anything and sat on my patio and had a martini and mm-hmm. made a ton of money because, you know, I have giant patios and nobody yeah. had anywhere else to go, but that's not what we did. We went and we built fences and we did that. And we called, we put out a public cry for it, you know, and we said, if you're a small restaurant, if you need a patio, we'll build it for you. You just call us because it's expensive. Yeah. And these guys are in trouble, you know? And so we went all around the community. We rented tents for people. Yeah. We put fences up. We, I'm sure a lot of them were, were yours. You would drive by, and- um, you know, I, tents and events out of El Paso came in and I was like, we need some help. You're not doing anything either. You know, rent, rent us this at 50% off. Cause you ain't doing, you know, mm-hmm. you're not doing nothing. And Derek's an amazing guy. And he was like, I'm with you, Mars, you know, I'll, I'll follow you. Let's do this. And so, yeah, we went all over town and put up tents and put up patios for, you know, a lot of restaurants and some of them survived. Some of them didn't, Mm -hmm. but you know, I thought we're going to give you a chance to fight kid. Like I get that you don't have all the trucks, trailers and the, you know, 20, the 20 guys from catering standing around going, what are we going to do boss? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, we had to make sure that, you know, the mountain, you don't get to the top of the mountain and just kick people off. No, you get to the top of the mountain and you make it as wide as possible. That's beautiful. You try to get as many people up there as possible. So that was, that was probably like really the first time that the charity work and, you know, that really got front page news and, you know, people were really paying attention to it. Yeah, definitely. Now, you know, last two questions before you, you head out, but first one would be, you know, employees that work for you, you know, what would they say about you as a, as a boss, as a supervisor, as some, as a leader? And then second, what advice would you have, would you give to somebody that is, you know, strong-willed and trying to pursue something like you're doing? I, I would say the employees, I don't know, you might have to ask them, it'd probably depend on what they did that day, um, what reaction they got. But I, I, most of my employees call me mom. They call me mm-hmm. mama. When I walk into the restaurant, they say, hi, mom. And the reason they do that, and they named me that, like yeah, that wasn't, yeah. I didn't show them say today, you will, welcome to my That's company. Weird. You will address me as mom, you know, but the reason they do it is because I take care of them. Yeah. You know, we, we do. And we take care of people. You know, we do. I mean, we pay when people get behind on their car payments. We do that. We've paid people's taxes. We've, you know, paid for hospital stays. We paid for their kids. This, you know, we bail, you know, all the stuff, funerals and, you know, all the things. And we really, we take care of our people mm-hmm. and we, sometimes it's just, you know, a hug and, you know, letting them cry or, or helping them through it emotionally, whatever they're going with. So sometimes it's advice, sometimes it's money, you know, but we really do a good job to try, you know, my employees are my family. I know that I don't actually, except in real estate there, I do it, but at the rest of it, I'm not the one that earns the money. You Mm -hmm. know, these guys earn the money. I sell the food that these guys cook. I, you know, we earn the money that those wait staff, you know, generate for us. I mean, and so we have, we we love them and and they are family. And and I I take it very seriously that I am responsible for 140 people's livelihoods and probably more than that, if you look at their kids and all that stuff. Um, So, yeah. So I would hope they would say something positive. Um, my ex-employees probably won't have anything positive to say because it takes a lot to get fired. I, I, have, five a, I have family members and cousins that have worked for you. And, yeah, you know. They, they're you realistic. Got, if they, you got fired, yeah, you know. I, it's I, not easy working under you, but it's worth it. Yeah, you know, no, it's, it's not. You know, we demand a lot and mm-hmm. we want you to, we want you to be good and, you know, we will yell. You know, we will. I guess that happens. Um, but we also love you deeply and we take yeah. good care of you and we do that. And that's just a piece of it. So I don't know, I guess it depends on what employee you asked on that one. And then what was the second question? I got so involved in the first no, one. Oh, you're fine. Um, the advice that you would Oh, offer. life advice. Yeah. I, I think the biggest is, is live your life. And, and these two words I'm going to use have very negative connotations, but I don't mean them that way. Live your life with arrogance and ignorance. And when I say it, what I mean is live your life 
with the arrogance that you can do anything with the mm -hmm. belief in yourself that, you know, no matter what you can do it, you know, and then live your life with the ignorance that there's no reason why you can't, Yeah, you know, and that's it. And those words have very negative connotations. When I say that people look at me weird, but live your life with, don't, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be caught up on what's going to happen. If you're going to fail, you know, you're the only person that can decide when you fail. So live your life with that type of arrogance and ignorance that you can accomplish anything. Yeah. And if you don't stop, you're going to get it done. You know, it may not be like really the games, you know, the games are, are fabulous and they're very successful restaurant and that's wonderful. And I would like to say that I opened them and they were successful immediately. Like really the games are probably on plan. I mean, if we're doing it alphabetically, I'm mm -hmm. probably on plan like J, you know, A, B, C, D. I yeah. mean, we went almost all the way through. You know, and, and yeah, you just have to keep trying and keep trying and, and keep believing in yourself and keep believing in your product and what you do. And eventually it'll work. You know, it doesn't, we're all work the first time. Yeah. Jay, I mean, for me, I always viewed that the game was like B or C. So to hear yeah, that it was, it was like Jay, instant success, yeah. right? I just opened it and it was amazing. Honestly, and everybody flocked there. Yeah, no. It's a better story to tell. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. thank you. I so wish much. it was that easy. <laughs> thank you so much for your transparency and just sitting here. You know? Well, my pleasure, sweetie. Thank, thank you for your interest. Like no, I said, I, I'm always shocked when anybody finds me interesting. The stories are, are amazing. And you we know. have a lot of them. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them. A lot of them. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. You got it. All right, sweetie. Thank you. Please get from around me.